0: Welcome. There are, in all, nine psalms which in some way use the Hebrew alphabet to structure their sections. Some of these follow perfectly the order of the Hebrew alphabet, but some do not. And it seems to be a deliberate choice of the author of the psalm not to use the order perfectly. Let me give you an example. If I say to you, using the English alphabet A, B, C, E, F, you are responding, aren't you? What's happened to D? And it seems as prominent in your mind the fact that a letter has been missed out as it is that the alphabet has been followed well today we're looking at a psalm which follows only the first part of the hebrew alphabet and it doesn't even follow that completely it misses out the fourth letter which in the hebrew alphabet is called dalet it's structured with each group of verses beginning with a particular, Hebrew alf- a particular Hebrew letter. So the first verse begins with the letter Aleph, the first letter, and the third verse begins with the letter Bet, the second letter, and so on, through, as I say, only the first part of the Hebrew alphabet. What's happened to the second part? Well, there's a hint of that in the psalm which follows it. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. I present these talks, how to understand the King James Bible. And to understand it, we look at the Book of Psalms, a different section each week, verse by verse and word by word. Today, as I say, we're looking at Psalm 9, and I hope all being well that we'll be looking at the psalm after it in uh, next week's session. But Psalm 9 today, and it begins with one of these curious headings. It reads in the King James Bible, to the chief musician upon Mutlaban, a psalm of David. Well, a psalm of David is straightforward, King David was the author. The chief musician, a common title in the Psalms, it refers to the leader of the music in God's house, the temple. So this was for worship at the temple. And then the words which don't make sense to us in English, upon mut, laban, where the King James translators have have simply reproduced the Hebrew characters in English characters and haven't attempted translation. Now all sorts of explanations have been offered for this strange phrase mutlaban and uh, I've seen as I've been preparing this talk maybe six or eight different explanations and the one that most commentators usually settle on is that this was the name of an ancient tune. Well, what does mut laban mean in Hebrew? The mut means death, and the laban bit means to the sun. So this tune, if it is a tune, is called Death to the Sun, or the death of the sun. A strange title for a psalm. But I've put forward the idea, as we've looked at these psalms, that these curious titles are not in fact tunes, that they relate in some way to the meaning of the psalm. And so, mut laban, the death of the son." mut. Where does the word mut appear in Psalm 9? Well, it does appear. It appears in verse 13, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, thou, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, mut death, the death of the Son. And that's rather prominent as we read through the whole psalm, because David is recording how he was in a desperate situation with a fierce enemy who was trying to kill him, that often happened in David's life. But God is the God who lifted him up from the gates of death. The death of the sun. Well, we don't have the son appearing in this psalm, but we certainly have David, or the Messiah, described as God's son elsewhere in the book of Psalms. Take Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Yes, we are talking in a way about the death of the son, but not about the death as as if that's the end. No, because God answered David's prayer to lift him up, to rescue him from the gates of death. When we read Laban, the death of the son, or death to the son, that was what the enemies cried out. That was what the, the enemies wanted, that this son of God should die. But God rescued him from the gates of death. So let's turn to this psalm, and we begin with, as I said already, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, aleph and to emphasize it more strongly in verses 1 and 2 the words beginning with aleph occur four times there where we've got i will in the king james version so i will praise begins with an aleph uh, at the beginning of verse 1 and i will show in the middle of verse 1 i will be glad and i will sing in verse 2 those words all begin with the letter Aleph, and this thing of having something repeated four times. It's a way in which in ancient Hebrew poetry they expressed an idea of completeness. There are four sides of you. There's in front, there's behind, there's your left, there's your right. And from that came the idea of the four points of the compass, north and south and east and west. So to repeat something four times looked very beautiful to an ancient Hebrew poet. And how beautiful was David's praise of God in verses 1 and 2. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will shew forth all thy marvellous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. Let's look at it in a bit more detail. Uh, David says he will praise God with his whole heart. From deep inside himself, he's going to praise God. But of course, if you're praising from deep inside yourself, no one else hears. So he finishes this little phrase at the end of verse 2 with, I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. So that David's song, which began deep within his heart, fills his mouth and his lips and the air around him with the voice of beautiful praise, songs of praise to God. The middle section, I will shew forth, shew is an ancient form of the word show, I will show forth all thy marvellous works, shew forth. Um, That in the Hebrew literally means to count them. We used to sing a song, didn't we? Count your blessings, name them one by one. That's exactly what David's doing when he shows forth all God's marvellous works. He's declaring the wonderful things that God's done for him. He's counting them out. And no wonder, therefore, when he thinks of all the wonderful things that God has done, he is glad and rejoices in his God. Verse 3. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. As we've already said, this moves on to the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the letter Bet. I won't give you the letters all the way through, but uh, this is where we move to the next section. When mine enemies are turned back. Why would an enemy turn back? An enemy goes forward to attack but it, the enemy turns back when the enemy is afraid, when the enemy is running away from the battle, when he's being defeated. He sees the danger and he runs away. That's when mine enemies are turned back. And when they try to run away, when they try to escape, when they've become afraid and they're sure that they're going to be defeated, then they shall fall and perish. At thy presence. At thy presence in the Hebrew is before your God's face. They fall and perish before the face of God, as if God, with just a look at them, has totally defeated the enemies. They don't just fall, they perish. Why? Verse 4 For thou hast maintained my right and my cause thou sattest in the throne, judging right. Why? Because God is a judge. God is a judge who sattest in the throne. He sat on his royal seat as a judge, as the righteous judge, making the right judgment, a judgment against what is evil, a judgment therefore against David's enemies maintaining or supporting David's right and David's cause. In other words, God took David's side when he acted as judge. He saw those evil enemies and he acted in support of David, a man after God's own heart. Verse 5. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. The heathen, the nations, and the nations that were enemies of Israel. God has rebuked them. He's spoken against them. He's declared that their evil schemes must stop. But we've got the heathen, that means nations, uh, the, the Gentile nations, the enemies of Israel. But then we've got thou hast destroyed the wicked this is one particular enemy this is singular in the hebrew language so where is it, where it says thou hast destroyed the wicked god has acted against one particularly evil and wicked man who rose up against david or against the messiah and god declared the judgment against him and this evil man was totally defeated who was this evil man What's his name? Is it King Saul or is it Absalom or is it some foreign king? We don't know because David declares, Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. That's the name of the heathen and the name of this wicked person. Thou hast put out their name. You've removed their name from the record, you've blotted it out of the book of life. It is removed and it shall never be entered again in your book of life. You have utterly defeated this evil one. And then, as if to signify this missing name, David misses a letter out of the Hebrew alphabet. We've had a paragraph beginning with the first letter, a paragraph beginning with the second letter, and then the third letter, but the fourth letter, Dalet. The equivalent of our letter D, has no paragraph, no section. It's not recorded in the psalm. It is intentionally missed out to record the fact that the name of this wicked one, the name of this evil man, has been removed. And so the psalm continues with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the fourth letter having been skipped. Verse 6, O thou enemy. The enemy is that wicked one who we've heard about in verse 5. He is that evil man whose name has not been recorded. And David speaks as if he's speaking to the enemy. And he declares why God has made such a terrible punishment against him that his name cannot even be mentioned or recorded. Why did God do that punishment? Because that punishment was right for that enemy. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. What did that enemy do? He destroyed whole cities. He defeated and killed all the people in cities. The whole city was defeated, so that there was no one to remember the dead. No memorial of those who had formerly lived in that city. What a cruel and terrible enemy. But his acts of destruction are now come to a perpetual end. His acts of evil, his great cruelty has come to an end. An end forever, not just temporarily a permanent, a perpetual end. The enemy is defeated. All his power, all his schemes are put to an end because his judge is the Lord. Verse 7, but the Lord shall endure forever. God's rule never ends. God's rule as king and as judge is forever and ever. And God hath prepared his throne for judgment. So now we see a picture of God's judgment. We've already had this picture when God saved David or, or the Messiah from his enemy. But now we're going to see a fuller picture of God as the judge, God as the rescuer of his people. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, verse 8. And he shall judge the world In righteousness, he shall minister judgment to the people in righteousness, sorry, in uprightness, a word with a similar meaning to righteousness. Yes, God is the judge and he does what is right. He he delivers the people because that is what is right. He is the one who rescues his people. He is the saviour, the God who saves or rescues people. Verse nine The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. A refuge means a safe place. The Hebrew word actually means a high place, like as if you, you climb up to a up a cliff to a place where your enemy cannot approach you, and so there you are safe. The Lord is that safe, high place for his people. And in their trouble, they turn to him. In their trouble, they look to him for safety. And he is the one who defends them because he is the judge who cares about good people, who cares about what is right, who will act against the evil people who oppress them. Verse 10. And they that that know thy name will put their trust in thee they that know thy name that's the description given to us for the people who've been called oppressed in verse 9 those who suffered cruelty but these are the people who know the name of god the name of god signifies the character of god god the god who is perfect the god who is right in every way the God who loves what is right and good and proper. They that know thy name, those that know the character of God, those who know God as their saviour, will put their trust in thee. They put their trust in God for or because thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Now they're called the people that seek God. And God hasn't disappointed them. He hasn't turned back from them. He has proved himself to be their rescuer, their judge. Oh, let let Israel's people praise God, who has done such wonderful things for them. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. The Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Zion is a hill in Jerusalem. Where the temple, God's house, stood. So it's directing us back to the idea of worship at the temple, to the temple, God's holy place, to the temple, the place appointed for sacrifice in the Old Testament. That is God's house, the place where God lives among his people. And God's people gather there to praise him and they declare his doings, they declare what God has done. And then we think about God as the judge once more in verse, verse 12 how God cares about the lives of his people, how God rescues them even from death. Verse 12 when he maketh inquisition for blood, for blood, for death, for blood that's been spilt. He makes inquisition. He makes inquiry. This is a judge investigating the crime, the crime of murder. Yet when God makes that inquiry, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Yes, God hasn't forgotten his people. Uh, In Revelation, we see a picture of the martyrs who've died for God, and yet they have a special place underneath God's altar, underneath God's throne. God remembers them. He forgets not the cry of the humble. Well, they could be called the humble or the lowly because they've suffered so much. But we know that God's people are often called, in the Bible, humble people, because they're not proud people like the wicked people. They are the people who put God first. They care about God, and so God cares about them. And David too, on this ground, claims help from God. He hasn't died, like like those who have suffered from cruel murderers, but cruel murderers have attacked him. They've taken him even almost to death, right up to the gates of death. But David praised his God. Verse, verse 13 Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. And we've seen how that word for death gives us the title of the psalm, Mut Laban, Death to the Son. They wanted to kill David, or they wanted to kill. God's Messiah, but he prayed. Even in that threat, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Show your kindness. Consider my trouble. Think of the trouble that those that hate me are causing because you are the one who rescues me. You can rescue me from them, even though they take me to the gates of death, to the point where I'm almost dead. Indeed, as God's Messiah, the Christ saw. God could rescue him even when he'd been through the gates of death and raise him back to life. Oh, what a wonderful reason to praise God. And David declares in verse 14, that I may shew forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation in the gates of the daughter of Zion. That contrasts with the gates of death in verse 13. And it could say, I'll show forth your praise, in the gates of Zion, in the gates of Jerusalem. But it goes deeper into this, because this is not just the gates of Jerusalem he's entering into. He expresses that he's going to praise God in the gates that belong to the daughter of Zion, in the gates where the young women of Jerusalem enter. It's a tender picture. It's a loving picture. It's a beautiful picture of Jerusalem at its best. And David declares, here in Jerusalem, amongst the living, I show forth the praise of God. I have been to the gates of death. I have been almost dead I'm now with God's people here in Zion, in Jerusalem, at God's house, the temple, the place where the daughter of Zion goes, there go I, because I will rejoice in the salvation that God has brought for me. In thy salvation, salvation of course means rescue and it means safety. And David declares that God has not only rescued him, but brought him to safety. Verse 15. The heathen, the enemies, the foreigners, are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. Verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work his own hands. We've got there three times the same picture. Uh, Firstly we've got a pit that the heathen made, verse 15, a hole in the ground, a hole maybe for trapping a lion, except they've used it not to trap a lion but to trap a man, to trap David, but they themselves have fallen Into that pit, they've fallen for the very trap which they've made, or they've spread a net for catching someone or something—a bird or an animal—that it would catch its foot in it and they would they would fall down. They hid that net, but in that net is their own foot taken. They are the ones who got caught in the net. And then in verse 16, we've got a snare, a trap. And the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands, in the trap that he's made. So in that way, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. What is his judgment? That these evil people should suffer the same punishment which they have set for others. It's just like we saw earlier in the psalm when in verse 6, the enemy destroyed cities so that there was no remembrance of them, and God's punishment in verse 5 was to put out their name forever and ever. That's something that needs thought, doesn't it? We need to pause and to meditate on that. We've often seen the word cello as a reason pause and think and we have that at the end of this verse but first we have the word higeion. Higeion. it means meditation another psalm says let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart it's that same word meditation Higeion. think about it think about how an evil man can plot evil for others and then face The judgment of God. Let's pause with the cellar for a moment and then think about the judgment. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Turned into hell. This is the Hebrew word hell which can just mean the grave. But the bible uses the grave as a word picture for hell so the translation here is right the wicked shall be turned into hell that's a punishment for them the punishment for the nations that forget god that, that that turn away from what god has set down as how they should be living They forget him. They neglect him. They turn to their own greedy and cruel desires. And that is why the wicked people are forced into hell, into the grave, into death, into judgment. Because God is the judge. Verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Oh, God does not forget those who are weak and needy, his faithful people who suffer so much in this world. God does not forget them. The expectation of the poor. Expectation is what we expect. These poor people expect God to help them. So their expectation is hope and their hope is is not in vain. They are trusting and hoping in the living God to help them. That expectation, that hope shall not perish. Though they, they may feel there is a delay, though it may take a long time for God to act by their standards, yet God will act. They might feel like they're forgotten now. They might feel like their hope or their expectation is not succeeding. But trust in God. Keep on trusting in God because God will act in his timing and in his way. The evil systems of this world will come to an end. God's judgment is sure. And so David prays. David prays now in this present time when there is so much trouble and when he's troubled so much by the Enemies round about him and the nations and the heathen round about him. David prays in verse 19, arise, O Lord, like a soldier who rises up to defeat his enemies. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Which man? The wicked man. The wicked man who we've been hearing about all the way through this psalm. The wicked man, in verse 5, whom God has destroyed, or who is called, O thou enemy, in verse 6. David says, I'm still suffering from that evil enemy, so God, I need you to rise up. Don't allow him to prevail, don't allow him to succeed, and let the heathen, let the nations that oppose me, be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. That's verse 20. May the nations know their own weakness. May they stop imagining that they have all power, that they can even stand against you, the living God who made heaven and earth. Let them know that they are but men. Because men suffer death and men suffer the judgment of God. Stop their cruelty, their proud words, their evil acts. God, now is the time for you to act. And with that, David concludes with the word Seller and another short pause. Please write to me. My name's Keith Simons. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear in which part of the world you are. And if you're in America, in the United States, please tell me which state you're in. My email address again, 333kjv at com. And now let me read you the whole of Psalm 9. To the chief musician upon Matlaban a Psalm of David. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will shew forth all thy marvellous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at Thy presence. For Thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, Thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O oh, thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that del- thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth that all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Sion I will rejoice in thy salvation, the he- the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made in the net which they hid. Is their own foot taken? The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higeon, Sella The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah.